You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. My name's Hans, I'm one of the pastors here, and you are catching us as we are continuing to move through the book of Genesis. We are doing something that we have, uh, we're doing all year called Hearing the Word, which is how, uh, how does God's story and understanding the story of Scripture help us understanding how he moves. So uh, this has, you're going you're gonna, to, like a broken record, has multiple elements, right? There's the reading plan we're doing, and if you need a copy of that, you can head uh, just to the kiosk, I call it a kiosk, really just the, the coffee area, it says connect. Uh, you can go there and you can get a copy. You can go to our website, F260. There's a little link right at the top of our website uh, that has all that info. So it's both uh, reading plan, preaching, uh, scripture memory. We're doing kind of all of these things together to help anchor us in the truths of scripture throughout the year. Um, so there's never a bad time to join in on that, I guess is my point. You can always join in at any time. And I've said, and people who have been engaging in it have said as well, this Sunday gathering will only be benefited by your engagement of the scriptures throughout the week so that you can put pieces together and see it and read it and hear it. So um, if you are coming here in hopes that like this is where you get your holy on, uh, it's not going to satisfy. So this is going to be one part and an integral part of what we do as a church family, but it is not the only part of what we do. So a part of what we do together because of that, as we just kind of remind ourselves of the previous week's memory verse, so last week we were memorizing Romans 8.28, uh, and it goes like this, if you know it, uh, we all, there's like 17 different translations that exist here. Some of you have like the 1984 version of the NIV, and some of you are NAS, you know, ride or die, CSB, ESV, so like we're going to be blabbering about not really knowing uh, which one's which, but... The ones we put on our website are CSB, so we're going to do that. But Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Good job. I mean, this is like, like echoing, bellowing through the sanctuary. You guys have Romans 8.28, which is tied to what we're working on and what we're looking through right now, which is the story of Joseph. We're only doing three Joseph sermons, and we're trying to get like the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's what we're looking at, beginning, middle, and end of the Joseph sermons. Uh, so this is all about like man's sinfulness, God's promise, and how he brings those things to be. But this takes a long time. In fact, I would probably guess that one of the things that is the most difficult for you, at least the most difficult for me, is waiting when you just have to wait for something, and you know it's gonna happen, uh, but you just, you wanna know. I remember p uh, learning how to find where my presence, uh, pa pre presence, where my parents hid certain gifts for certain holidays. I knew where, under a blanket in their closet, like that's where they would be. Uh, and as a you know, eight-year-old or 10-year-old, I didn't do a very good job of putting the blanket back like it was. So my parents always knew that I was looking, because I didn't want to wait. It's like, can we just go ahead and get this thing done? If you have been uh, engaged, you know, looking forward to your wedding day, and you're like, hey, can, it just, can we just skip over the next six months, 12 months of our lives, and just get to that day? Well, imagine, imagine that you are uh, a patriarch. That's the Genesis, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob and his sons. And then imagine that you're one of those and God spoke to Abraham hundreds of years ago and said, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to bring this about. Uh, 
It's like there's this promise, and then like before, then then Isaac comes, and then Jacob comes, and then Jacob has sons, and so we're waiting on something. God had said something's gonna happen. I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will make you a great nation. Um, and then there's always kind of like these start stops, like it's gonna happen, no it's not, it's gonna happen. It's like this movement back and forth, and as we have read thus far, we get into a specific spot in the narrative where we're following Joseph. We've kind of left Jacob and his kids behind for a, a brief amount of time, and we're following Joseph for a couple of decades. That's what we kind of run through. A couple of decades, we're following Joseph, and there's just this waiting game that they play as we, the readers, are going, is God going to bring this thing about? Now, this is hard, because like a movie you've seen a hundred times, you know the ending. Uh, But what I need you to do is kind of engage as if you don't. Read this as if you don't and realize what God is doing in these moments. So pretend you're reading this or engaging with this with somebody who has never heard the story before. It's like when you get to watch a movie with somebody that you love but they've never seen it and you get really excited about watching it again. You're like, oh no, 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 you like, you have, like please watch and then you get really sad if they don't like it in the same way you did. So this is a long chapter and I think uh, in its length it would be good for us uh, we're going to get lost in it at 57 verses, but I'm going to just give you basically the summary of it, and then I, because it's just so colorful, I just wanted to read it to you, um, and you can like, if you want to fall asleep or lie back or just hear it, that's fine. You don't have to read along with it, uh, but there's really uh, five movements. Pharaoh has dreams. Remember, Joseph's in Egypt. Pharaoh has dreams, and then um, no one can interpret them. But somebody remembers, oh, hey, yeah, Joseph, I remember this guy who could interpret dreams. So Joseph is called from prison. He's been there years, uh, but there's been a two-year delay between when he hoped he would get out and when he has. So two years have passed between when he's like, hey, guys, remember me when you go talk to Pharaoh? One dies, one doesn't, and the guy just forgets. So he's called from prison. He gives the interpretation and a plan of action, which I think is pretty smart. He doesn't just interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He, told, he tells Pharaoh what he thinks Pharaoh should do, um, which is, yeah, because he's not delivering the best of news in those dreams. Pharaoh puts Joseph in this spot of exaltation. He, he put, gives him a place of status. Um, and then, essentially, we begin into the summary of those events. So we've been here for years. To catch you up to where we've been in our reading, Joseph is sold into uh, slavery. His brothers sell him there. They lie to dad. They say he's dead. He goes to Egypt, where he's left there. He works for a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife makes advances towards him, and he flees, but lies. And then he get, Joseph gets imprisoned for his uh, alleged behavior. He's in prison, waiting, um, and as he's there, the guard trusts him, and so Joseph is even being given status in prison. He interprets two of uh, prisoners' dreams, and these are people who work for Pharaoh. He interprets them correctly. He goes, uh, you're going to be restored to your position, and you're going to die. That happens. And so uh, as they're getting out, he goes, hey, just please remember me. Speak kindly of me to Pharaoh. Maybe I can get out. Now, two years have passed since that interaction, and Joseph's just been doing his thing. So listen to this, verse 41, or chapter 41, verse 1, um, and in whatever uh, snoozing, relaxing position you would like to hear this in, go for it. After two whole years, 
Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, a river there. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of corn, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. And all its wise men, Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. I would just say you ate something bad the night before. Never heard of dreams like this. Uh, so, hey, maybe you just need a, maybe you need a different diet, Pharaoh. The chief cupbearer, this is one uh, whose dreams Joseph interpreted, who did not die, says, oh my gosh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, he dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Dreams, no one can figure it out. There's the guy whom Joseph has interacted with, and he goes, I remember Joseph. I mean, so he's telling Pharaoh now. Well, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. And there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said uh, of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph said to Pharaoh, answered Pharaoh, it is not me but God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and they fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, No one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as from the beginning Then I awoke. He adds to his dream because he's giving his own take on it, right? As how is he feeling it? I also saw in my dream seven ears growing and one stalk full and good. Seven ears withered and thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years. So seven years for good, seven years for bad. What's going on here? It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. 
and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by any reason of famine that will, uh, that will follow, for it will be very severe. If you're unfamiliar with the word famine, it's just a time when there's no food, no nothing. You cannot have what you would need. A famine was severe, so they have seven years where things are great, seven years where things are terrible. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, this is where he talks about what he should do. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Smart guy. Well... This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? He's speaking of Joseph. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne, that's him, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, sign of status, from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain on his neck. He made him ride the second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set over them all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnephtah. And he came and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now there's some summary going on next. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Remember, he was 17 when his brother sold him into slavery. So 13 years have now passed in that amount of time. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, lots of crops, things were great. And he gathered up all the food for those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and he put food in the cities. He put in every city food from the fields around it and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asna, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph had said, uh, as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all, of Egypt, all the Egyptians, go to Joseph when he says to you, uh, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land. Moreover, 
all the earth came to Egypt, came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe of all the earth. We hear the words famine and severe in earth and land a lot there. That's 57 verses. Good job, everybody. Uh, there's a phrase, the mind can only retain what the seat can endure. So, good job. That's a long chapter and to tell of an event. And there's some retelling of the event, right? We hear Joseph's, or Pharaoh's dream, and then Pharaoh tells his dream because he needs to say it too. So kind of the, the narrator tells the story. Then Pharaoh's, like this is what happened. Joseph gives the interpretation. Lots are going on here. Lots of events, lots of things. And remember where we left off last week because we, we've jumped 13 years now into where we are in this passage in chapter 41. Joseph sold into slavery, left in Egypt. His brothers have told his dad that he's dead. His dad believes it. Joseph is now living his life in Egypt. He had not, doesn't even, he's not even trying to get back, and now he's in prison. He thinks he might have an out when he sees two people in Pharaoh's court, and he gives them an interpretation, and they forget about him. Two years later, two years go by, and Joseph's still in prison doing what he does, and he gets summoned to Pharaoh, kind of like Count of Monte Cristo, like he has to, he has to get clean really fast, shave, because he's all right, probably not bathing a lot, not cutting his hair a lot, and so he doesn't look well put together. And then in an instant, we move from that, that image to a favorable interpretation of a dream to exaltation, and now he's wearing new clothes and he looks good again. And that all happens in chapter 41, 13 years after his brothers had abandoned him. And remember, because we can kind of zoom in right here to 41, but where are we in Genesis is God has given a promise to his people. He called Abram, Abraham out of his idolatry and said, go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham follows. And Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob and Esau. Jacob has, uh, he has, <clears throat> he has all his sons, 12 sons. Jacob is not living always faithfully. Remember last week he has favorites. Joseph is his favorite. His brothers hate him. So much is going on, but that idea of promise continues. And so we accelerate kind of the, the, the visualization of God's plan as this continues. And then 42, really through 50, and we'll summarize those next week because there's a couple of famine visits, his brothers get into the land, show how the people, the nation, got to Egypt, which is what God said would happen. And so I want to just, as, I, as we hear that and position that, there'll be a couple of statements I want us to make and hold on to, uh, truths for us from this passage that I would like for us to highlight. First is this. God works through any appropriate means to bring about his purposes. Now, what do I mean by that? God works through any appropriate means. Well, we know from the book of James that uh, God does not cause you to uh, sin, he does not force your sin hand to be like, well, I'm going to make him sin. He doesn't do that. No one, when he is tempted, should say, God is tempting me. That's what James says. So, God uses any appropriate means to bring about his purposes. And what does he use here to exalt Joseph 
to prepare for the nation coming to Egypt. Pharaoh has dreams. He has dreams. And there is not one person in Pharaoh's entourage who is able to tell him what the dreams mean. But there is one person, a Hebrew, who isn't even really supposed to be there, who is there, who can tell Pharaoh what's going on. So Pharaoh has dreams. No one Pharaoh knows understands what those dreams mean, but there is a person. There is a person. Now think about this. This is, what, this is crazy to me too. Joseph is in prison for two years. And it's only when Pharaoh has dreams that he can, that, the, <clears throat> that somebody's told, hey, I know a guy who's in prison and I've forgotten about him till now. So Pharaoh knows where to find Joseph. There he is. He didn't get out two years prior. But there he is in prison. And he tells Pharaoh, Joseph tells Pharaoh what's going on and it is true. And I love that because there are times even throughout Genesis where we see God moving other people to protect and preserve his nation, his line, his promise. We see that with Abraham, we see that with Isaac, where dream comes to somebody, it's like, no, don't, it's not his sister. If you read with us, you've seen that a couple of times. And you're like, why does Abraham keep lying? Like, shouldn't you know by now that you don't say that? And then the Lord intervenes in the lives of other people who do not even follow him in order to preserve both Abimelech and Abraham and his line. And so this is, how I, this is how I often think about it. It's like if you've ever gone bumper bowling, which is the only real way to bowl, and like you, you just, you put it, you just put the ball down the lane, it's like bong, 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 bong. It hits every side it possibly can. It slows down, like And you're just waiting for like five minutes, like and your kids, like mine, are like, come on, come on, come on, come on. The whole time. Meanwhile, like, they couldn't throw a strike, nor could I, to save our lives. You got one shot, strike, gutter ball for me every single time. So there, there they are, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They think that they're just crushing this game of bowling, right? They're just doing great. Every time they're throwing gutter balls, well, what does God do? Now, hold on. <laughs> like, let's grab it over here. Like, come on, we're going gonna, we're gonna to redirect this thing so that... The things that I had said need to come about that have been there before time began will come about. And so it's to bring about his purposes. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember, to bring about his purposes. And we have to be really clear that we actually long for his purposes and not ours. Because sometimes we're going to go, well, God, how come you haven't done this? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Don't you, don't you want me to be blessed? Don't you want me to be satisfied? And we have all these things where life isn't happening as we would want it to happen. And so we go to God a little angry with God that we don't have what we want or what we think that we deserve. And I have to check that. And I think Jesus' half-brother James Righteous again, in, that, in his letter, he gives us a help, helpful phrase there. 
essentially says this, when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives that you can spend what you get on yourself. You long for God only the things that will make you happy and not necessarily the things that will satisfy his purposes. And so sure, long for things, but be sure those are in line with God's purposes. But God is moving and active, and he's not just active in Joseph's life, helping him, guiding him in the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, but the dreams actually come from the Lord that Pharaoh is having. And that Pharaoh has a bunch of stooges around him who can't interpret any of those dreams. Like it is like all signs point to Joseph to get there. And 13 years later, what can Joseph do but go, hey, he did nothing. He'd just been sitting around. Hey, Jacob. So another, another statement. God uses whatever appropriate means are necessary, but second is this. God never forgets his people, even when others do. God never forgets his people. He never forgets his plans. He never forgets his purposes. He's not just like, oh gosh, what do I do? So two years go by. Most of us don't wait two years for anything. For anything. Like we've either, like we're either gotten it ourselves, jammed that process through to the end. We are not gonna wait two years. We are going to see to it that the things we want to see happen, happen. So it's kind of part of the culture that we live in. And yet, two years go by, and what do we have? But the cupbearer's like, oh man, you know what? Like I got out of prison, now think about this. Joseph gives the cupbearer a dream, or an interpretation of a dream, and says, you will survive. You're gonna be restored to your place. I think I'd remember the guy who just told me that. But what happens? Man, it's so good to be back in Pharaoh's court. Like, this is awesome, great. Yeah, two years go by. He's like, you know what? There was a guy. I totally forgot until this moment that there was a guy who told me that this was gonna happen. So just remember this, when somebody says, I'll never forget that you did that thing, they'll probably forget. (laughs) And I wonder sometimes, where's our trust and how do we wanna be remembered? Do we wanna be remembered by other people or do we want to be remembered by the Lord? I think the world sometimes recognizes that we try to make legacies for ourselves that we're gonna be forgotten. Uh, I am somewhat a fan of Conan O'Brien. You don't have to be. Don't judge me unless you want, but um, I think he's funny. And he was recently interviewed, and he was talking about something said to him that gave him a lot of perspective. He said this. He goes, I had a great conversation with Albert Brooks, Albert Brooks, writer, director, actor. He goes, when I met him for the first time, I was, you know, I was kind of stammering. I, I said, you make movies. They live on forever. I just do these late night shows, they get lost and never seen again, and who cares? And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? None of it matters. Well, none of it matters? No, that's the secret. In 1940, people said Clark Gable is the face of the 20th century. Now, now, show of hands, who even knows that name? Clark Gable, right? Every kid in this room is like, who? Exactly. Exactly. He was popular in the first half of the 20th century. First half. And so Albert Brooks goes, who thinks about Clark Gable? Doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We'll all be forgotten. And then Conan goes, it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me, but I was walking on air after that. But who doesn't forget? 
Who doesn't forget? The Lord never forgets his people. He never forgets what's going on. And so even as Joseph is there going, I might be forgotten, who knows what's gonna happen? The Lord, at the right time, in the right way, at the right place, pulls him out. Now, God works through whatever means are appropriate to bring about his purposes. God never forgets his people, even when others do. When you feel abandoned, forgotten, no longer concerned about by this world, who still knows your name? The Lord. Who is still concerned about you? The Lord. Now this is one, this is probably like the memory verse we would have from chapter 41 uh, because it's the thing that we care, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But this is God's people must never take credit for how God uses them. Verse 16, when Pharaoh goes, I heard you can interpret my dreams. Joseph could go, you're right. I'm kind of good at this. I don't know why I'm good at it, but I'm kind of good at it. So go ahead, hit me, what you got? Instead, he says, nope, 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 nope. It is not me, but God will answer Pharaoh. I'm not gonna be the one to say it. God's gonna be the one to say it. And that is such an important part of how we walk and serve with the Lord and minister because accolades feel good. For people to tell you, you're really good at this, you're really good at that, you should do this, you should do that. Man, this is just so awesome when. We want people to tell us that we're awesome. But what we might unintentionally be doing is taking glory, honor, and credit away from the Lord. So we have different things we try to do, like we try to humble brag. Oh man, I'm just, you know, who would have thought God would have put me in these awesome places? It's kind of the same thing. That's kind of the same thing as just saying I'm awesome. Right? You're just trying to give God credit for what you would really still like credit for, but you just kind of throw God over it. I recently did a wedding at the beginning of January, and you, you do the thing that happens in a lot of rehearsal dinners of this part, and everyone's just telling, uh, telling the couple why they're awesome. Generally, what happens? Um, and so, hey, I just love you guys so much, and everything's great, and everything, blah 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 blah. You're just the best. You know, I want to. I look up to you. I had like there was like an older brother telling the groom, his younger brother, how much he admires him, and I live my life based upon what you do. All of these statements, like it was like heaping praise on the couple in ways I had never seen before. And um, the groom to be stood up, and I loved what he said. You know, guy, young twenties. He goes, man. I wish, I wish I could take credit for all of the things that you're saying you like about me. And I'm kind of like, bro, no one's here, no one's like, like they're, they're not gonna say that you're being arrogant, just kind of be thanks, you know, it's real, we're hashtag blessed, like everything's good. And then what does he do instead? He just stands before everybody who would heap praise on him. And he essentially says this, everything, anything that has been good in me that you love or admire is the Lord and it is not me. I'm like, well, yeah, but still, you're kind of a good dude. I mean, you know, you come from good stock. I love your parents. I love her parents. Everyone's kind of awesome. And he's just like, nope, it's not. And I'm like, oh, man, like that is, that's the right thing to say. But what do we like to say? I am kind of awesome. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a big deal and it's good. But God's people should never take God, uh, credit for how God uses them. 
It wasn't like Joseph was just extra cool. And so God's like, you know what? I need extra cool. I need some guys who are extra cool, who know how to dress, who know how to talk, who know how to walk. Like Joseph's dad dressed him in a robe. Joseph didn't have anything to do with that. But what does Joseph do? Just kind of keep at it and be in the places God has him and be faithful in those places. That's essentially it. Now, this um, last idea before we kind of move to so, so what is what we see in 37 through the end. When he gives his proposal and the proposal pleases Pharaoh and all his servants and he starts to do all of this activity is that God exalts in his timing, not ours. And God exalts whom and when and why. Uh, our family is, I keep talking about James because one thing our family is reading throughout the year and trying to, trying to memorize some. And, uh, it says this, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. It's the way, the way it's put there. Let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. God exalts, gives people status when God exalts and gives people status. And there's something that we all feel, and it's like one part American lie, and like one part trying to be noble, and we just kind of marry these two ideas together. Because this is the thing, so many of us are like, I wanna be used by God in great and mighty ways. And I love that, I want you to as well. But great and mighty ways just mean faithfulness means faithfulness, and really, you'll be forgotten. That's all. And, but we, we, like, we want to be known, we want to have our name on billboards, we want people to like us, we want to be on like the speaking circuit, we want to uh, say we know the guy who, or we know the girl who, or man, like we'll name drop and whatever else, because we want to try and make ourselves appear faithful and good. God exalts in his timing, according to his purposes. That's it. There's no manipulation that we can do of God. There's nothing that we should even ever try to do. But it's one of the hardest things for me and for many of us because we wanna be looking awesome. That's what we want. We want the world to think that we're really cool. And like, man, I'm closing the mouths of lions and I'm just kinda going to get and everything's great. It's like the first half of the hall of faith and not the second. I don't want to be sawn in two. Like, I want to go ahead and just like destroy armies and kill giants. Like, that's the part of life I want. God exalts Joseph. But Joseph has brothers, and you know what the Lord does with his brothers? He humbles them. He humbles them. When they realize that their sinful decision-making got them to the spot that they were in. And they bow before Joseph. That's in the coming chapters. They bow before him. He exalts one person. He humbles the rest in his family. We should never be looking for how or an angle and how God might use us and how we could kind of level up in a spiritual life. In chapter 37, verse 2, he's 17. In chapter 41, verse 46, he's 30. 
You might go, well, I'm you know, 35 or 45 or 50 or 60, and I, I like, I'm like, you know what? Most of us are beyond the age that Jesus was when he died. Like, we're, we have to reconcile the fact that we're not Jesus. Like, oh, he's 30. He was exalted at 30. Yeah, so what? 30, 40, 50, 60, or never. Faithfulness is what wins the day. Not status. But our evangelical culture has a way of really highlighting status. How many Twitter followers do you have? What do you know? Who do you do? How many books can you write? How can you do this? And all of these things, we then inappropriately and often subconsciously attach to faithfulness. That God is with that person in a mighty way, as if he's not with you. Like, God's like, well, I give junior Holy Spirit to most of my followers, and I give full Holy Spirit to the rest, or to these over here. So junior Holy Spirit, Hans, full Holy Spirit, Matt Chandler. Like, junior Holy Spirit, Rock, full Holy Spirit, John Piper. Like, like that, and that's what you need. And so how do I get full Holy Spirit version of myself? You don't. You already have it. It's just a matter of obedience and faithfulness. 17, or 13 years of waiting until that moment. And he didn't know what was going to happen or how it was going to happen. What's he do? I'm going to work for Potiphar and I'm going to be faithful there and the Lord does what he does. I'm now in prison and I'm going to be faithful here and the Lord does what he does. And now I'm before Pharaoh and I'm going to be faithful here and the Lord does what he does. You got it? Yeah, it's kind of a, there's kind of a flow here. You see the pattern. That's what we're to do. And so I would just say this for all of us, stay faithful where God has you. Where God has you. Don't long for something else. Look for something else. Manipulate toward something else. It doesn't matter. And it'll just frustrate. Contentment is this part of the Christian life that we so often lack. to just be glad you are where you are. You do what you do. You're in the church that you are. You have the friends that you have and the family that you have and, and whatever it else it might be, the job that you have and the, the stage of life that you're in. Don't glamorize or idolize something that you don't have because it's not yours. Faithfulness and contentment wherever God has us to be is crucial for how we walk with him. And it's the difference between burning out at 50 and dying with joy at 95. Because if you're always just trying to go get and to go grab and to go take and all those things, and you will be dissatisfied with what you say life hands you and you'll try to act like the victim of your circumstances. When I would just go, just be faithful in your circumstances. We'll see next week. Joseph never blames his brothers for where he is or what happens. Never once. He's like, you guys stink. He doesn't do that. He could. He could have said, you know what, guards, kill these guys. Done. Execute them. I'm done with them. And he doesn't. Why? Well, we'll see as we get into next week. Because it's about the perspective that he has on all that has gone on. On all that has gone on. Because, right, we're going to get to 20 years, basically, of being sold into slavery and into Egypt before he even sees his brothers face to face. So we're 13 years in the end of 41. We add seven more for the years of plenty. And now we're getting into the famine. And that's when he sees his brothers. So two decades pass.
before he even has a moment to talk with his brothers. So we need to stay faithful wherever God has us. Even if we've been at it 20 years and we're going, what are you doing? Because he's always doing something. Let me pray for us. Father, we as your people ask that by your spirit you would grant us the patience to wait. That you, Lord, would give to us an abundance of contentment. That you, Lord, would remove our desires at times to jump ahead in line, to exalt ourselves, to take credit for things that are really of your doing, and to try to make this life about us and who we are and our resumes and just that we need to be somewhere that we're not. God, fill us with your spirit so that we have patience and we have joy and that we have the perspective of what you're doing and when you're doing it and how you're doing it. That we could trust you and see how you're moving to bring about your purposes and not ours. Heavenly Father, we need you. We often forget that, but we need you. And might we, Lord, be faithful, all of us, each person, man, woman, and child in this room, might we be faithful in the places that you have us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.